at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casella, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, the East Coast has entered spring week. Uh, we are sort of entering spring, maybe, out here by the weekend, and by that I mean it goes from high 60s, low 70s to high 70s, low 80s. Um, we are actually mid-80s today. Boom. After being mid forties on Monday, so figure that one out. Hotter there than it is here. Yeah, so you know uh, that's a it's a very New York thing. Um, <laughs> and then I'm sure I'm sure we'll at least get one more day in like the forties in the next couple of weeks, just because you know there, there's nothing you can never have it like all the way. Um, but yeah, not complaining. It was actually like legitimately a little hot today, but but compared to what it's been, you know, all quote spring unquote, definitely take it. Absolutely. Dan, I figure, why don't we start off talking a little bit about um, a former Syracuse Orange player who a lot of people have been discussing quite a bit. Um, Oklahoma has been uh, just right with hot takes about this guy. Uh, I think a lot of other outlets have as well. Um, Carmelo Anthony. Uh, he did not look good at all in, uh, in Oklahoma City's 4-2 playoff loss to uh, the Jazz. Um, a lot of people are putting that on Melo. A lot of people are putting that on Russ, on Paul George, on uh, Andre Roberson's injury, what have you. Some people are blaming Billy Donovan. There's plenty of other folks, too. I think the construction of the team might be a little off as well. Um, Dan, knowing that that you follow the NBA um, to the extent that I do, um, and and maybe some others don't necessarily follow it as much as we do, um, what do you think went wrong for Carmelo and, and the Thunder this year? Um... I mean, just like flat out, he just didn't look like the player that he was um, even last year as a Nick, uh, which I think some of that is that he's moving into a role or a a part of his career where he's he's clearly not going to be the number one option on a winning team. Um, Not that he really was on a winning team with the Knicks for a while. Sorry, Joe. But but at least last year, like when he was healthy and the years before, even when the Knicks were struggling, like there were nights where Melo looked like vintage Melo. And there were just so few of those this season. Um, and I think it, it's it's kind of a twofold problem. Like he he just clearly didn't adjust to this being the secondary or tertiary player. Yeah, but you know he averaged 16 points a game, but like his percentages were, were way down. Career um, worse. Yeah, career worse. Like um, not if not across the board. And as he was career worst in field goal percentage, um, his three points were, were among his worst uh, ever. Which obviously you know you you would think going into the season people had hopes that he'd turn into this. Uh, kind of the same kind of player he was in the Olympics where he was a spot-up shooter and he could kind of chip in and not have to be the guy. And I don't know, I, I didn't watch enough OKC because they're really brutal to watch a lot of the time when Russ isn't doing crazy things to, like, point out exactly if there was, like, a usage problem. But it does seem like there's a combination of, like, Melo's game just took a step back this year, as you'd expect considering he's been in the NBA forever. Um, but also uh, the role wasn't really carved out for him to thrive as a lesser player and then there were, you know, the, the, the Thunder outside those, the you know, those big three type players 
really aren't super deep, and the Roberson injury really seemed to derail them this year. Um, they were actually playing pretty well right before he got hurt. So it was a whole mess of things. Um, I also don't know that Russell Westbrook's a very easy player to play with, um, especially if you are a complimentary player like like Mello, who's who's uh, mostly a scorer, isn't going to do the little things otherwise. So um, hopefully we haven't seen the last of him as a useful NBA player. And I do think, like, he- heading into this year, I kind of thought, like, in the uh, twilight of Mello's career, he could actually be a really useful bo- uh, role player like we've seen um, – like a guy like Vince Tarter be for, for years now, obviously he's, he's, you know, towards the end of his usefulness, but there were like years and years where he was obviously not the high flying, like all-star that we were used to, but he was still an effective bench player. He could, you know, go off for 20 on a night and it just doesn't seem like Mello um, really found that niche. And, and obviously he's grousing now about, you know, any thoughts of him being moved to the bench. So um, I think it was just like a, a lot of compounding things, uh, but hopefully he can kind of figure it out going forward here. Yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, and I, I mentioned this on Twitter during the series, I, I mentioned it to, to friends and I was talking to them too. I, I feel like there's very few players who, who the league and, and the tide of style of play has kind of shifted out from under them so quickly um, as Melo. And, you know, part of that is the fact that the Knicks literally, like, murdered his soul, um, a, a thing I can relate to. Um, but if you're going to be on that many losing teams with, with that little ability to use you correctly, use your teammates correctly, put you in a position to win or succeed, um, I can understand how that weighs you down after a while. You know, Mello was, was typically a very effective, you know, spot-up shooter who, who got those, those opportunities, though, by, you know, getting to the line being physical under the rim, he, he just a very he was a big player, not in the same you know hulkingly athletic uh, way that LeBron James is, but uh, nonetheless a, a guy who could play kind of a flex three four. He hated playing the four, obviously, so that doesn't help. But nonetheless, a, a guy who could who could back you down, draw fouls, get physical. Um, he didn't play a ton of defense, but on, you know on a team uh, that was willing to trot out. Um, other defensive options, you know, Stephen Adams is not a bad defender. Um, Roberson was a great defender. Jeremy Grant has been plugged in. Um, guys like that, Paul George is, an, is you know, a, a sort of like borderline first team all-NBA defender this year for much of the season, especially when Roberson was in. So, like, you can, even if he, he's an average to below average defender, you can bury him on a team like that. Um, and, and it just seemed... Like he did nothing that happened worked and, and there were just too many redundancies in the roster. Um, you also had the problem with he just wasn't hitting open shots. Um, like we said, his, his percentages were down across the board. He actually was, was missing uh, more open threes um, than just about anybody in the league. Uh, definitely more open threes than any at any other point in his career. And I think a lot of that is in part due to how, how the, the league has changed, how the, there's not as much use for guys who, who, you know, if you're not going to hit from range and you're not going to be physical under the rim, like those mid-range jumper guys there just aren't, there's no market for them as much. And you even seen a guy like LeBron who used to thrive in the mid-range and still does, uh, has expanded his game out to the perimeter. He's also super physical down low still. So uh, Mello just, in part uh, a fault of his own, in part not. Um, it seems like the game is just kind of, moved in a different direction than what his skill set's used to. And I would hope that, that this offseason, because I do want to see him succeed, I would hope this offseason he's able to make those adjustments and really fit himself into the modern NBA, which he's probably about at this point. And that, again, partly because of the Knicks um, and, and their lack of basketball acumen while he was there. 
Um, he's probably about three years, four years behind at this point. Yeah, it's actually interesting. Um, I'm looking at his basketball reference. His three-point attempts per game were actually the second most of his career. Uh, he was at 6.1 this year. His, his high was only 6.2, so it was just like 0.1 more per game. And that was his 2012-13 season, which was like probably his best year as a Nick. Uh, when he averaged Love that almost year. 29 points a game. Yeah, that's when he was like, that was arguably his best season. Borderline um, MVP uh, candidate that year. Yeah. Um, and then his two-point attempts uh, were 8.9 per game, which was like by like far and away the lowest of his career. His, his previous low was last season at 13.1 two-point uh, attempts a game. So he definitely tried to shift towards like he shot almost half of his shots from three. Um but he wasn't nearly efficient enough there. He only shot, you know, a little over 35%. And the two-pointers, like, he, he wasn't getting those baskets that he used to get where he, you know, was able to make those tough mid-range shots. And obviously those aren't um, all that valuable uh, analytically and, and not super in, you know, demand in this point in the NBA. So you definitely hope that, and like you said, he was getting open three-point looks that he just was not knocking down. So uh, you would definitely hope that, that that would become a thing that he focuses more on. I also, like... I kind of wish he wasn't going to be in the Thunder next year, but there's almost a, a guarantee that he will be because he'll get to opt into a huge contract there. Um, and no one can absorb that deal. No one can absorb that deal. He's never going to get anything close to it on the open market. So um, he's going to be on the Thunder next year. Uh, alongside Russell Westbrook, I would probably guess not Paul George. Almost definitely um, not Paul George. Yeah, considering how this season ended. So I don't know. I don't know that it's a great situation for him. I hope he can rebound and at least like, get to being like a respectable like mid-tier NBA player who can go off for some scoring and and improve you know what his uh pretty inefficient season was this year and and not be the butt of a lot of jokes because that you know I'm not a Knicks fan I, I like Carmelo basically because he's a Syracuse guy and he's a been a pretty proud Syracuse guy for a while but like it's not never fun to see one of those players become like such a uh derisive player during the season um so hopefully he can he can kind of start to age a little more gracefully than he has so far. Agreed. Yeah, I, uh, I I've been a long time mellow defender. It's this year I, I didn't necessarily go to bat form. It's not that I didn't want to. It's just that there was there was so little to work with. So I, I do hope that with the Thunder next year, maybe with jo- with Paul George gone, he'll have a little bit more defined role. But at the same time, um, th- there were a lot of people pining to have Jeremy Grant take Mello's minutes, um, which would be a weird. A uh, thing for a lot of Syracuse fans to witness, but something that, that that definitely happened toward the end of the year and could happen going forward, especially if the, the Thunder re-signed Grant. But Grant also could be in for a bit of a payday, uh, you know, this summer after having a really really impressive campaign this year, as he found a way to be, you know, the most efficient player he's been um, a, as a pro. No, he, he's never going to turn into an elite shooter, but he was turning into a guy who was hitting about fifty percent of his shots. Um, on the season that's a vast improvement for him again great defender uh, so I, the Thunder will be interesting to watch for uh, this offseason just for Syracuse fans um, again Melo will probably be there so I, I hope that I hope that he figures out some way to to exist within this Thunder system because uh, what happened this year did not work yeah and I think there'll be a, a real demand for a change just because um, I don't expect Billy Donovan to be out after this year, but like it was very clear that this type of Thunder team was not sustainable. Um, and I think some of that is going to be because Westbrook is just such a ball-dominant player, and, and when you don't have like a Durant and a Harden next to him, his his style, I, I think, is kind of hard to build around, especially with Melo being kind of a ball-dominant player as well. Um, but 
uh, I think they're going to have to change something because otherwise it's just not going to work and then you're stuck with, with Melo for at least another year and then, you know, I don't think you can really just get rid of Westbrook and hope to get another player that good. I think you have to try to find a way to make him work. I would definitely agree. Um, not to get us too deep in on the Thunder, uh, this is not a Thunder podcast, as much as Dan and I could probably turn it into one if we put our minds to it. I want to talk about current Syracuse, or at least future Syracuse. Um, since Darius Baisley left, Syracuse is looking for a power forward. Um, we thought that uh, Bryce Golden was potentially going to be that guy. Um, unfortunately, he ended up choosing Butler, probably because there was more playing time available to him right away. Um, now we've shifted our focus to Robert Braswell. Um, he's actually a really interesting prospect, Dan. I don't know how much you've read about him since uh, the offer came in this morning. Uh, that's Wednesday morning for those listening. Braswell is from South Carolina. Uh, he's actually from a military family, so he's traveled around a bunch. He really hasn't played a lot in the U.S., um, so it's understandable that he's only ranked around a two- or three-star recruit. But a guy who's 6'9", uh, about 175 pounds, um, he's got a seven-foot wingspan. He has a ton of athleticism. Um, I believe one of his parents referred to him as positionless um, in an article today. So that's uh, that's all encouraging, and a guy that sounds like he'd be a great fit for the zone and, and a bit of a long-term project. Like not somebody who's going to struggle right away and need those four years to build, but someone who can round into a really, really strong basketball player over a four-year stretch. And I'm, I mean, I hope he. Hope he, he commits and signs soon, and I'm, I'm excited to hopefully bring him into the fold and add some forward depth since we really don't have a ton of it right now. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a really interesting pro, uh, prospect and, and might be a little bit of a project, but um, reading some stuff on him today, like he's definitely a, a pretty interesting player to look at. Um, the two-star thing, I, I think people, you know, you can't get too worked up about that because two-star basically means he hasn't really been evaluated very much, so it's just kind of a, a blanket thing they put on people. Um, especially at the basketball ranks. Football is a little different. But he has, you know, almost a seven-foot wingspan. Uh, it sounds like he has some guard stills. He had kind of a, an Anthony Davis-esque growth spurt, not not quite as drastic, where Davis went from, like, sits one to almost seven feet in a year. But he was apparently sits four, and now he sits nine. But he, you know, played most of his, you know, most of his basketball was as a, as a guard. So that's always exciting. Um, I don't know uh, how he is as a shooter. It sounds like he's a pretty good shooter. Um, but it seems like he has like all of those traits that you want in a Syracuse forward. Uh, and that will be, that would be really exciting. And, and we, I'd say, you know, we're his best offer right now. The other big ones are Oklahoma state and UMass and he has some other like solid mid majors. Um, so I think we have at least a, a really, really good shot at getting him, uh, assuming he thinks that he can craft out a role here and we have, you know, we have some, some spots. So obviously the Baisley, uh, departure gives us a scholarship, uh, opening and, and if you think he's a, a worthwhile player down the road for uh, in a year or two, um, and obviously we just uh, missed out on um, uh, Bryce Golden, um, yeah, you, you, I, I have no problem with it. Um, obviously, Bayham likes what he sees. We don't just throw around scholarships all that uh, all that casually or uh, in the Syracuse basketball program. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I, I I commend Syracuse for not trying to go in on both at the same time necessarily with offers. Um, in terms of Braswell and Golden, um, and then potentially having to disappoint a kid. Um, good to see us kind of take our time here. Um, I, I think it's indicative of how good we think our chances are, too, kind of coming in this late and, and up against you know Oklahoma State, which it seems like he's pretty cold on, um, and, and then UMass, who's been kind of the clubhouse leader for a while. Um, I, I feel like, and I joked about this in the article, uh, Braswell's a big Jacksonville Jaguars fan, so I feel like that helps us. 
Um, you know, maybe we kind of seal the deal with a visit to uh, from you know Tom Coughlin and Doug Marone. I, yeah, I don't know if that would be a, a violation, but if they're in town, I guess it probably wouldn't be if they if they just happen to be here. I mean, if we don't outlay any of the money, if, that's if, true. If Jim just calls him and says, "Hey, man, like, got a big Jags fan on our hands. When you when you when you give him a Duval T-shirt and <laughs> <laughs> just pop on up to South Carolina, I feel like they could do it." Uh, if Coach Tay can call like the Team USA guys while he has players on visits, there's no reason we can't like get a stipend from from Doug Marone and uh, probably maybe not Coughlin because I assume he uses a flip phone. But um, yeah, there's no reason why we can't at least get him on the line. Uh, and yeah, I noticed that today when I looked at his Twitter and his like his uh, his like header photo is a giant Jacksonville Jaguars thing. I'm like, oh, that's that's interesting. I guess he, I assume he lived there at some point because he is a he is a military brat. Um, it's also like probably the closest team. <laughs> Depending uh, on what part of South Carolina he's in. Well, the the Falcons. Oh, that's true. You're right. Never mind. <laughs> it's either going to be the Falcons or the Panthers, like, depending on where. <laughs> Geography's, okay. Geography's stupid, Dan. <laughs> I went to a school that thinks they're in New York City. So. Hey, that's, that's <laughs> called branding. That's, that's, that's all branding. That's exactly what that is. Um, I was also kind of bummed that we missed out on, on Golden, not because I thought he was a better player than Braswell. Um, I really didn't know that answer, to be honest. Um, I, I was bummed because of, the, because of how much it was going to be a mix-up between him and uh, Bryson Goodine, who is our 2019 recruit. I almost said Bryson Goodine earlier, um, and yes, I have been doing that for weeks. <laughs> yeah, because I, I feel like we, we'd figure it out pretty quickly, even if there was still the occasional mistake. Um, I, I, the, the ACC network announcers would just, it would go poorly and I would laugh and no one would care over there for some reason. It would happen every game. Uh, but yeah, it would have been fun. It would definitely would have happened like at least, if not every game, I, I would say at least 10 games a year, especially with the lower level ACC announcer ones. Like you said, we'd have a lot of, uh, of those mix ups. I mean, we had four years of Arunze Anawaku, and I, I feel like his name was mispronounced more often than it was pronounced correctly. So even our own um, fans can't. I mean, I, it, this is a good segue. Um, when fans were submitting their most boring SU athlete coach encounter, uh, I, I noticed so I noticed many, this. so many creative spellings of Arunze Anawaku. <laughs> yeah, and amazingly, like some of the ones I saw weren't. Arunze was the part they messed up. Arunze is like the easy part. Yeah. Also, I, like I don't know if it's a hot take. I don't think Arunze Anwak is that hard a name to set to uh to spell. No, it it, it shouldn't be. It's it's pretty phonetic. Yeah, it's it's very. You know phonetic. how to say his name. Now, if you don't know how to say his name, it can be an issue. But I feel like you should know one of the two, and then piece together the rest. Yeah, I I would have to agree with you in terms of difficult Syracuse names. I, I feel like the current roster, or at least last year's roster, actually presented uh, much more um, difficult possibilities for, uh, for for both new and old inductees than you know, names like Arunze Anawaku ever did. Yeah, um, yeah, I would agree. I, I mean, I just, I never had an issue with Arunze, you know, from basically like day one. But, uh, you know, not everyone is, is as gifted in <laughs> spelling. Um, if only. Yeah, I mean, this year, like, I don't know. I, I don't think any of our names even this year are like that crazy. I think it's easy to mess up a couple of them. Um, like, uh, I guess if you, if you, Miss a couple letters in Sidibe and and O'Shea present you the to the two double letters, which can always be uh, can be tricky. And then obviously no one knows how to pronounce Dolajai. Um, hopefully by next year when he's averaging eighteen points a game, people he, will. Well, the NCAA tournament Dolajaster, that was oh, <laughs> that was Jim Nance's pronunciation. 
It was so bad. It was it was so bad for like a full half, and then and then Merrick didn't really see the floor as much in the second. The Chuku Chuku thing was another one that threw people this year, self included. Because I just like forgot after a while. Uh, yeah. Um, that one is, is a little more understandable, I think. Right. Like that's that's a tough like nuance. And I think we were calling him Chuku for a lot of the year anyway. True. Um, so mentioned it about a minute ago, but a lot of people had, uh, some really fun stories. Sean had of birth this, uh, this entertaining thread, um, on Monday about, uh, most boring and inconsequential or mundane Syracuse athlete or coach encounters. So a lot of people have, you know, cool stories, um, about players they've encountered. And a lot of people still submitted those anyway. And I act ignored them, not because I didn't appreciate them. Because it's not it, the prompt. Yeah, it's, it's not the prompt, and I was pretty clear about it. <laughs> and like, so was Sean. Like, I'll, I'll share after this my coolest sports-related story. I actually don't really have many um, Syracuse-related ones because I wasn't, like, really writing about the team back in college. But um, there were some really good ones in here, and, and, and it's funny that, like, almost every story involved Bayheim eating at a local chain restaurant. I, I, I do love that. Like, Bayheim. Beheim is like exactly who we think. Like, For like decades. Just, it's so good. Like the people who said that he would go into like and order the same exact thing from Brugger's and Marshall Street like every couple weeks. Like never mixes it up. Beheim definitely only orders the one thing at every single place he goes. Not going to lie. I actually do the same. It's, it's, I kind of <laughs> do too. I like try to make myself not. But I, I, I largely, especially at a chain place. Uh-huh. Like we go into a chain like you're, or, or a place you go all the time like. Once you know something's good. Yeah. Like, uh, even at, like, my local bodega, I order the same sandwich, like, 75% of the time. I've literally only eaten one sandwich at Jimmy John's ever. <laughs> which which sandwich? <laughs> uh, it's the Billy Club, number eight. Ah. I will go either. Occasionally, I'll do the BLT, or I'll go the Turkey Club. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm a man uh, who, who's set in habits and, and my ways, as I think most people on the blog would at least know in, in part. But yeah, that is uh, I, I can I can empathize with Jim there. Although unlike him, I do cook, and I feel like Jim. I feel like we we have enough evidence of him never eating at home throughout a good forty year stretch from this exercise. It's really wonderful, and I I like I was like literally laughing at some of the stories, and like it, it, they're funny in that like how boring they are. Um, but it's like one of those wonderful things about going to SU because you really do get exposed to people like that, like just by being there. And uh, just so many, like I, I've had, I mean, I just had so many like random encounters, um, some of which were, were more or less boring than others. I, I tweeted at Sean after I saw it finally. I was like off Twitter most of Monday, so I didn't see it till, till yesterday, uh, Tuesday. We're recording this on Wednesday. And, um, my favorite one definitely was my roommate and I were in, in tops after we beat, I believe, USF on the road in 2010, which was, like, the first of our, like, weird stretch of road wins that year. And I ran into Doug Marone, uh, by, who was buying bologna, because obviously he was. <laughs> and uh, we congratulated him on the win, and then he told us to go celebrate it uh, and have some beers. Yeah, Doug. Or, like, 20, so we, so we did. Um, yeah, the other ones, uh, I think the other one I tweeted was... Um, Oh, I randomly stumbled on Scott Schaefer eating by himself at the Tully's bar once, which was like before he was head coach. He was uh, still yeah. in DC, oh, well, which well, was like well, kind well, of kind of like a sad sight. Yeah, well, like we liked him. Yeah, 
And it was like, oh, that's Stav Schaefer. Oh, being an assistant coach in college football is like not all that glamorous at all. Um, just eating your tenders alone. <laughs> there was, uh, I retweeted uh, a friend of mine who tweeted at it. Um, there was one night we were at a party, I believe sophomore year on South Campus, and Kevin Drew, the lacrosse star slash occasional basketball walk-on, emerged out of like thin air, uh, asked if anyone had a dip, uh, which no one did, and then no one did, so he just disappeared. It was very strange. Um, it was like almost like a scene out of like a like a surreal scene out of like Atlanta. <laughs> like it didn't. I was like, was, did, was that a real thing that just happened? It's like we knew who he was, but like we weren't like super familiar with him because he. I don't think he played the year before. And then uh, some less less uh, boring mundane ones. Um, I will say my sophomore year Mayfest, we watched uh, a I will say an unnamed four year defensive tackle who did not play that much. Um, doing naked slip and slides down the hill next to my apartment, so that was interesting. Um, I will say I shotgunned shitty beers with uh, an eventual NFL player my freshman year uh, during Mayfest. A lot of Mayfest stories um, because the athletes are always out and about. And I'd say the most interesting one of those was uh, I will say an important starter. Uh, fell down, the football player fell down the stairs at my friend's house party and another important starter who ended up in the NFL uh, rushed to his defense thinking that he like broke his leg but he was actually just fine and really drunk and like cleared out the room. Those are some good stories. I uh... Yeah, I don't want anyone in trouble even though we're like eight or nine years out but uh, all, all fun events at Syracuse of varying levels of interest. Fair. I, I can share my varying levels of interest. I will say my favorite story was actually the Mike Hopkins one um, about the bank. I think I missed that one. Uh, the, the, the text from that. Uh, I worked at the Chase on the SU Hill. Mike Hopkins was depositing a check once. He looked me in the eye and said, make sure you put that in the right account. I complied with his reasonable demands. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that sounds like exactly what Mike Hopkins would say. Mike Hopkins thinks you should be saving more. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the one that I submitted for myself on this one, this was the non-remarkable one. Um, I got my haircut next to Ross Allegro once um, over at the barber shop right on Marshall Street. Um, I didn't realize he was there, slash didn't really recognize him because he was a walk-on, um, and started talking to the barbers about how Syracuse had been unprepared for defensively during the 20. Uh, 2006-2007 campaign. Uh, that was a regrettable one for many reasons for SU fans. Um, Ross chimed in, uh, did not agree with me in any way, which is not surprising. That's great. Um, my other ones uh, that were a little bit more remarkable. Um, smoked with a um, not-to-be-named not punter from the Syracuse... <laughs> football team back in 2007 i wonder who that could have been i i i wouldn't wouldn't be able to tell you uh, <laughs> and then also uh my buddy and i bought a pitcher for uh chris joseph and wes johnson at chucks in 2009 and they they respectfully declined so i can use their names there because they they didn't take anything from us yeah i would i would pretty often so my senior year, I would probably go to Chuck's four or five times a week 
uh, for various things. Sometimes just to go for like wing night or burger night because it was like the cheapest decent dinner you could get. And a lot of like Sundays or Mondays, I'd I'd basically just hang out with Tim Desco and shoot the shit. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I got a lot of like lacrosse war stories from Tim Desco that year. It was fun. Um, a lot of interesting stuff. And we bought each other drinks, so that I think that counts. I think that's fine because like he technically paid me back. I'd say that's fine. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. I think it was also well, actually, it was like during his season, so I don't know that like I don't know. He probably shouldn't have been attracted as much as as he was, but oh well. <laughs> all right so uh with that why don't we actually no i will share my other my non-syracuse related story in terms of best athlete story um i was working at the mls all-star game a couple of years ago and uh, i'd been doing an event with clint dempsey earlier in the day then was out at a party later that night because for those who have never been in the sports marketing situation it ends up just being a bunch of parties and shit. And, and, and when, you, when you're not related to the NCAA, it feels less dirty because at least they're professionals. When it's related to the NCAA, it feels much more dirty. Um, but in this case, MLS All-Star Game. Um, and I was at a party later that night and Clint Dempsey, Captain America himself, spotted me from across the room and shouted over to me to come, come hang out. And I feel like that was pretty cool, even if I did just see him like eight hours earlier. Because I'm sure Clint meets a lot of people. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a good one. Apparently, like I, I love seeing all the uh, pictures from like the Final Four when people are uh, that like media down there is mm-hmm. like at the uh, at the bars and stuff, and oh, yeah. like you see like random people hanging out with like Bob Huggins. It's always funny, like because apparently it's just such a weird mismatch of people, and everyone from like college basketball is there, like every year. Yeah, no it's, matter a, where it's they this finish. weird family reunion. Um, it's basically like a convention. Yeah. That, that's pretty accurate because then because you have all the all the coaches um who were brought down there by sponsors um and, and other folks you have all the media people who are obviously paid to be there um you have the people who are directly involved you have all the legends and people um, you have some like are, random players yeah who are also sponsored yeah and then you have the players who were there for um you know the award things or they've already declared for the draft and therefore agents are getting them down there whatever um yeah the three-on-three tournament this year yeah so definitely a lot of fun stuff, but it's stuff that, that, that lends to uh, meetings like that. And I've definitely, I've run into quite a few. I ran into, oh, I asked Shaq his honest opinion about the Knicks once. And he just told me the Knicks were garbage and then moved on. Shaq, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I didn't need you to tell me that. We, we, we know. Yeah, I, I have eyes after all. Um, all right. So beer or just alcohol in general. Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, Dan, it was not a huge beer week for me, but I, I, I'd have two uh, pretty decent submissions. Um, the first was a, a Super Crush by Grim Artisanal Ales, uh, one of my favorite Brooklyn breweries down here, um, which is a, a raspberry sour. Um, it was not super, super sour, pretty nice balance, uh, it, really, really drinkable. Um, so I enjoyed that, as I do almost everything that Grim does. And then I had a Tools of the Trade uh, Pale Ale by Industrial Arts, which was... Um, almost like a, it was just under 5%, so it was a pretty pretty light in terms of uh, pale ales, um, really delicious. Industrial Arts, I don't know if you've had anything from them. Uh, I, I think, think they're so. in Hudson Valley. Um, they just started popping up a lot here. Uh, really, really good. I needed to actually get up to that brewery at some point because everything they've done that I've had is pretty excellent. Cool, cool. Um, on my end, also not like a super busy week, 
Um, grabbed a four pack of uh, offshoot beer companies, uh, Relax, it's just a hazy IPA. Um, it's just a, a pretty light in a good way, uh, hazy IPA from offshoot. They're a subsidiary of the brewery out here. Uh, folks are probably much more uh, familiar with them. Again, good beer there. Um, had a friend of mine just had a 12 pack of uh, Olympia beer, which is not good, but uh, drank one of those while I was helping him move. That's um, like a, it's a step under Pabst uh, on the PBR label. So, oh, it's one of those. It's like Schaefer. Oh yeah, definitely. Schaefer is the same thing. Yeah, like it's PBR label. It tastes just like PBR. Yeah. Uh, and it's less fun now that he's not our head coach anymore. Wamp wamp. Although it's more fun in a lot of other ways that he's not our head coach now. It's probably more apt. This is true. Um, and then I also had. A couple Firestone Lagers. Um, and then I had, I went to this really uh, good new bar nearby. Uh, not beer related, but uh, they not only had a, a full gin list um, from all around the world and, and specifically on the West Coast, um, but also had a, a full tonic list. So, so That's really interesting. Yeah, with, with very detailed descriptions of both so that you could match the perfect gin to the perfect tonic. Hmm. I really appreciate. I don't even know where that. I'd start there. Like, I enjoy a good gin and tonic. I don't even know how I'd like make a decision. See, I, I was going for something in like the mid price range, um, and like I'm a bigger fan of like the like kind of more citrusy, like with some coriander. So, like they had that um, in there for uh, the gin, and then they also had. And I think I got one from like uh, San Francisco. I think it was the number two hundred nine um, for those looking for it. Um, and then the tonic, I went for like the least sugary one because I do prefer like a little less sugar there, but yeah, it was, it was a cool experience. I'll probably go back just to get like some more, some more wacky, uh, varieties of, of, of gin and tonics. Yeah. That's really cool. I enjoy a gin and tonic. I've, I've actually like, because I'm, I'm now old, I've graduated <laughs> mostly to your old. <laughs> yeah. I'm I mean, 30. I, you are, you are, you are undisputably older. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mostly go if I'm drinking liquor. Um, I mostly uh, at a bar. I mostly go with like a, a solid like middle shelf vodka and club, and that will usually keep me from getting a wicked hangover. So that that's how I know that started about a year ago, and that's how I know that I am officially old. Yeah, I do. I've been a gin and tonic guy since college for some reason, um, and then I also do uh, bourbon neat. Those are my those are my two non uh, beer. Beverages. Bourbon needs solid. I'll do a gin and tonic um, if I want like a little more flavor. Um, but yeah, I just like can't do the crazy mixed uh, mixed things as much anymore. Yeah. Once in a while. Yeah, once in a, yeah. Like when I was in New Orleans, you just have to be aware that you're not dead a hangover. Like yeah. it's just going to happen, and you have to accept <laughs> it and drink a lot of Pedialyte, and then you know hope for the best. I, I just tried to hydrate. I was in New Orleans, and I knew I couldn't get out of there without drinking like one of like the stupid uh, like drinks. So I got like a they had uh, some Fat Tuesday locations there. So I grabbed like a peach bellini, uh, pina colada mix with the extra shot because you have to do that. Um, but that was at like 4 p.m. So then I had plenty of time to hydrate for the rest of the night. Yeah, you can definitely you can definitely make uh, make improvements for the for the, you know, yet to be late 20s and old people listening to this podcast. Like it will hit you around 26, 27. But there are there are ways to, you know, offset the effects. Certainly. I'm um, switching back to sports here. Um, 
Zaire Franklin got drafted by the Colts. That was pretty awesome. It's uh, it's actually a good landing spot for him because he uh, he ends up on a team that could use an upgraded linebacker. I don't think anybody on that in that linebacking group, and knowing that I, I've I've been progressively distancing myself from the NFL game more and more over the last few years, so I could be completely wrong on this. Um, but I feel like no one on that in the linebacker group is really kind of set in stone. Um, and I feel like it was a group that struggled a ton last year. They were one of the worst defenses in the NFL last year. Um, so I, I think Franklin has a really nice shot to make the team. Uh, Steve Ishmael actually also joined him as an undrafted free agent. I think his road to being a receiver for that team is a little bit tougher, but who knows? Maybe both make it. Um, I, I, do ha- I do hope the best of luck to Zaire. Dan, did you have any thoughts on his, his fit there or, or the other players that have signed as undrafted free agents fits anywhere else? Um, I was thrilled for Franklin. Um, obviously, we always debate like whether you'd rather be a seventh-round pick or uh, or a free agent. But I do think there's some kind of like cachet to being drafted at all. And it would have it was nice to snap, you know, not have that streak start of undrafted players. Yeah. Um, and he deserved it. Like he he had, was an awesome four-year player for Syracuse, three-year captain. Um, worked out really, really well at his pro day. So he did everything right. Um, and it was really, you know, cool to see him honored that way. And the land with the Colts, which obviously is a cool Syracuse connection. I guess he'll technically, uh, Dwight, Dwight, uh, Freeney is signing like a one day deal with the Colts to retire with them. Right. I think, uh, I think he already did. Oh, he already did. I was going to say, I wonder if he'd like technically be a teammate with Dwight Freeney for a moment, but that probably are, I think you're right. That already happened either way. It's cool to see him, uh, get drafted. And I, I mean, their defense is really bad last year so um i can't imagine their linebacking situation is all that set and then as for i'm trying to remember where everyone else landed i pulled up their own article on the website bennett went to green um, bay McLeister right, went yes. to san francisco and irv went to the bucks yeah uh, i mean i'm a packers fan so having paris there is really cool um they could definitely use some more playmaking and uh athleticism at the linebacking spot so it wouldn't shock me to see him at least like make the practice squad um you said Irv went to the Bucks, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they uh it's I mean it's interesting I don't really know how he's gonna be in like how he'll be using the NFL. Um I think he has a shot kid. I mean he was he he came along so much in his time at Syracuse in the changing positions and, and become a really reliable receiver. So uh I, I certainly hope he latches on there and, and you know, hopefully Jemis Winston starts to check down more instead of throwing interceptions eight feet over his receiver's heads. <laughs> um so that would be good for Irv. Um, I was a little surprised he would lost her land as quickly as he did, but again, cool for him. Well, he's got the size. I think that was the, the thing everybody said with him. Like, if you can, if, if you can, you know, yes, he's rough around the edges, but if you can help him round out, like a lot of SU linemen have ended up in the NFL of late, whether through the draft or, you know, through the undrafted route and guys that like, you wouldn't even have thought just like kind of hanging around for a while. Yeah. I think, was it a uh, Tiller that had like a pretty decent length NFL career? Yeah. Tiller's been around for like, I think like five still... or six. I think he might be like still bouncing around practice squads, or whatever, but Tiller's on the Dolphins practice squad last year. He is currently on the Saints. Uh, no, he's on the Saints legit team. It looks like for now, at least. Oh. I don't know if. I think your roster could be whatever size you want it to be right now. Yeah. And that's where he started. He was uh, a sixth round pit by them. And then he's been on the Chargers, Packers, Niners, Chiefs, and now back with the Saints. You know, he's 29, like, to, to carve out, like, I know he hasn't been, like, a, su- a huge player for any of those teams, but to, to bounce around and carve out an NFL career at all and, and you know, make some, have some pretty sizable paychecks, like, good for him. So it's always cool to see these guys uh, get recognition and get to play for a couple of years. Like, it's, uh, you know, obviously very happy for all of them. And, and for Ishmael in Indy, 
I think the Colts are pretty well set at receiver um, compared to a lot of the other positions. Obviously, they were pretty bad last year, um, and the quarterback situation's kind of in flux as we don't know if Andrew Luck's like alive at any given moment. But um, obviously, with with free agents and guys who are like fighting for practice squad spots, like in the in the preseason especially, like you're you're auditioning for pretty much every team and not just your own, since they're all going to be watching tape, especially in those preseason games. So it's not it's not as important always uh, where you land as a free agent if you can make the most of it, uh, assuming you get some reps in, in the preseason. Well, I just hope that Luck ends up playing now for his sake because you'd much rather you have Andrew Luck throwing to you um, than, w- w- than whoever the hell. Jacoby Brissett last year. Ooh, and boy. I guess, yeah. Well, who, he actually looked pretty decent for a backup. Yeah. Like, but obviously Andrew Luck is, is a, a different level player if he can stay healthy. Yeah, I mean, he, he can improve the receivers around him potentially. Like, that's a guy. And I think that's probably what, what you know, uh, Ishmael probably had several options. I feel like that's probably what, you know, motivated him to go there. Or, or you know, maybe Franklin's presence there too. Who knows? Anyway, I wish them the best of luck. I was really surprised, I know you probably were too, uh, to not see Jordan Martin sign anywhere yet. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how long these things usually stretch out, but, like, I feel like most guys are somewhere within a day, but I have to imagine he'll get a shot somewhere. Because it wasn't like he was he was on the top like three or four guys that were like on the radar at all. Right. Yeah. I uh, I again hope he signs somewhere too because I definitely I mean maybe it's the injury concerns. Um, he has had a few throughout his college career. Maybe he wasn't one hundred percent you know able to go for any workouts or whatever. But we'll see. I hope he lands somewhere too. Um, but that kind of leads us to what'll uh, be like our last longer conversation of this podcast. Um, who's going to be drafted next year? Um, the content machine uh, is always hungry, and uh, one of the things that, that usually feeds it around this time of year is next year's mock drafts. Um, I don't think we have any potential first-rounders here, but there are quite a few players. Um, I counted six in total who I would entertain as, uh, as draft picks. Dan, you've had a chance to look at the article. Um, who out of those players would you consider the most likely draft pick? Oh, this is interesting. Um, I'd say if I had to like really bet on them, it'd be one of the one of the offensive linemen, uh, just because there are more slots for those guys right. and more opportunities, um, especially if they can move positions, which obviously Roberts has a bit, uh, and I think Conway probably has a little bit of versatility. You have Conway, uh, Tota Martin, who's obviously the newcomer from A and M and Roberts listed here, I think they could all go depending on how, how well they play. I think regardless of position, like if, if we were, if all things were equal in terms of like how many guys get picked, I'd probably say Ravian Pierce, just as he has like that classic tight end size and that, that combo of size and speed that, that the NFL looks for now. But the yeah, tight ends, it's a really tough position to break through on. And obviously he had a pretty big role in our offense last year, but it wasn't so big that you know, his numbers are jumping off the page, so we have to see how the tight end continues to evolve within the Babers' offense. It, it was basically a non-factor two years ago, and it, you know, it came along last year because Pierce is such a weapon. Um, but I think a lot of that depends on, on how much Dungey can find him and, and how much we keep on building him into the offense. So yeah, those would be my picks, and I've already touched on four of the six that you put in here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would bet on the offensive lineman if I, if I had to. Probably... Hmm. I don't know if I'd, I'd give the edge to... I obviously don't know enough about Tota Martin. I know he's been a solid player in the past. I just haven't seen him um, very much. But I, I'm, I'm debating between Conway and Roberts. Um, yeah, I think it'll I've, all depend on how much, how well Roberts rebounds 
from last year's injury. If he doesn't show any signs of that, you know, having an effect, I, I think he can. I think he can be up there. I think Conway gets a nod, if only because he's been healthy this whole time. Um, and, and I do feel like he just—he's a little bit bigger. Um, I, I feel like he's—I feel like he's got some nice footwork. I feel like he's really been great in pass and run protection. I, I definitely—I think Conway has a slight edge. I think Pierce. The tough thing will be like next year. We'll see who still needs a tight end. I think this year was a pretty good tight end class. Um, so it really depends on like who needs a guy like him um, on their roster. I mean, someone will. I think someone will obviously, whether that's uh, as a draftee or, or as an undrafted uh, free agent. But I, I think he is a good chance. I think him, Pearson, Conway seem like the best bets to me. Martin's going to be another guy like Roberts. It depends on you know what his health looks like. Uh, Martin had that scary heat stroke incident um, at Texas A and M. Uh, so if if he bounces back and is fine, I think the SEC pedigree for him will uh, will probably speak some volumes. and might actually have him, you know, be able to jump over Roberts uh, again, depending on you know how much he plays. I mean, nobody's really indicated yet um, how much Martin's going to play a tackle um, if he's going to supplant you know Aaron Servais um, or if he's going to get plugged in somewhere else on the line. I feel like this is a pretty veteran, experienced group who's played with one another already, so. Uh, there's no guarantees that Martin, just because you know he's he's the the, the coach's son-in-law and, and the quarterback coach's you know actual son, it's it's tough to say whether nepotism is going to take over or or if he really is you know more talented than, than who we have um, there and, and and if that if, if there's a premium on experience playing with one another um, versus just general experience, which Martin also has. Yeah, I fully expect Martin to get a shot uh, at winning a job here. Um, obviously, you know we have a group that's played together a lot, but it wasn't. A, it hasn't been a strength of the team, so it's not like there aren't vulnerable people. But I, I truly do not expect him to just walk in and take the job because he's related to uh, our quarterbacks coach or that he's the son-in-law of Dino Babers. Like I, I feel like Babers just is. He's not that more, type of guy. He's not that guy. Um, and Martin's obviously the newcomer. Um, he's played in the SECs. I mean, I think there's a very good chance he wins the job just because he's the best player. Right. But I, I truly feel like he will he'll have to earn it. And that's the way it should be. Totally. Is Cervais was he a Drew Frosh last year? He was a redshirt freshman last year, wasn't he? I was trying to think I believe so. I'm looking it up. Yeah, same. Just because I wanted to see if he could redshirt. Uh he did I forgot if his name is spelled the way it is. <laughs> He did redshirt um, 2016. Okay, so that's what I thought. Yeah, so he'd potentially lose a year. Um, I, I'm kind of okay with it, not because I don't think Cervase is good, just because I think that um, having like somebody like him, um, Colin Burns, also in there too, is somebody with experience. Like having those types of guys, uh, being able to plug them in um, if there's an injury or at least a short term absence during a game, um, I, I don't mind having that. And then obviously Cervase can just kind of jump right back in. Um, if if Martin earns the job over him, he can jump right back in then as a, as a redshirt junior next year. Yeah, and, and a lot of these guys play, um, you see more offensive line rotations than you used to just based on injuries and whatnot. Um, and it, I, I do think that like one of the, the nice about not only the depth that we've built the last couple of years, but we've had a lot of guys cross transition, um, even from like center of guard. So it's, it's, it's you kind of plug in like the best player possible because odds are they've gotten some time at whatever position you need or you can move guys around and, and get the best five rather than having to worry uh about like you know plugging in a guy just based on positional need when he's not like one of the best players you can put in yeah completely 
Um, so might as well close out with the last two players on this list. Eric Dungy, I don't think he gets picked, but I think a lot's going to depend on whether or not he makes it through this season unscathed. Totally. It, it's just the quarterbacks are, it's really tough. I mean, I think what, 13 quarterbacks got drafted this season and yeah. it's, it's a weird group. Um, there are quarterbacks who got drafted who were not prolific. I mean, Josh Allen, but there are quarterbacks who were drafted later in the draft as well who were not like prolific college players that didn't put up the numbers that like a guy like Dungy will. And there are guys who put up just like even bigger, more ridiculous stat lines than Dungy who have, uh, you know, slightly more like NFL size who don't get picked at all. Um, I think he'll latch on somewhere. It's just so competitive to be one of the quarterbacks that goes. And it, it's such like a weird, like teams feel so differently about different quarterbacks as we saw with this draft process where there were four guys who were in contention to be the number one pick. And like if one team... I'm sure there were teams that if they were number one, they would have picked Josh Rosen, and he ended up being the fourth guy to go. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, I, let's focus on him getting through a season unscathed first, and then we can worry about it later. Um, a player who I think is a much higher likelihood of getting drafted than him is uh, Chris Slayton, defensive tackle, longtime stalwart for the defensive line at SU. Um, he's been really good against the run. He's been a great um, player in terms of tackles for the loss. Um, I think he's actually, I think somebody said in the comments, he put up like better numbers than Bromley has to this point. Um, if that's the case, and I mean, Bromley hasn't like, you know, jumped off the page either since he got to the NFL, but you know, if Slayton shows he put up better numbers than that, um, in a variety of systems, um, again, no matter what, he just seems like he's in on plays. He knows how to disrupt, uh, plays in the backfield. Um, uh, and, and, and he was kind of key to, uh, what was a great at one point third down defense last year. Um, I would bet on Slayton getting drafted, even if it's you know toward the back end. But who knows? He has a breakout season this year. Maybe he's able to work himself up into a a day two pick. Yeah, I expect Slayton to be one of those like workout animals, kind of like Franklin was this year, where I bet his pro day was a huge reason why he got picked. He like basically blew off like the page in pretty much every every category, and I think he would have had the the best linebacker. Uh, the best like linebacker bench press, I think, if he had you know been in the combine. So I expect him to put up big numbers, and I think our players overall the last couple of years have put up really really good combine and and pro day numbers overall. Um, and he's just been a very very uh, solid contributor for a long time. So even if he doesn't get picked, I expect him to to be a, a guy that's really valued as a free agent. Although it's it's way too early to to know if he will go or not. Yeah, very. And I mean that's the case for most of these guys. Like there's there's only a handful of you know players who didn't make themselves available for this year's draft that uh, that are sitting around with, you know, high, high grades already. Um, I've seen some of the early mocks. It's a lot of Clemson guys, but a lot of Clemson guys that people thought were going to come out this year. So um, plenty more time for, for talent scouts to uh, to evaluate these players. And when it happens, it happens. I, I, I'm much more focused on what happens to Syracuse football uh, with these players on the roster, first and foremost. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously those plums and dies kind of threw uh, a wrench in things. Although I don't think he would have been, you know, in conversation for those like those guys will be first round picks most likely, or at least like first, second, third round picks. So oh, without um, a doubt, I think most of them are first, and I think that's why everyone has a pretty developed opinion of them already because because people were were ready to write them into you know top ten to fifteen range this year. Yeah, and it's just uh, an embarrassment of riches that they're coming back. Damn you, Clemson! Sigh. I feel, I feel like there's going to be some payback involved when we go down there this year? Because, like, I mean, Dabo will be, like, you know, all gentlemanly about it, but, like, 
I, I feel like I feel like that's going to be the narrative, and the nobody believes in this nonsense is going to be running rampant in that locker room. Oh yeah, I mean they got they got kind of punked in the semifinal, so I'm sure they'll be, and and obviously they lost to us, so I'm I'm sure they'll have plenty of chips on the shoulder as Clemson does. Always. Guess I would too if I was Clemson. Anyway. <laughs> Dan, anything else for this week? I feel like we covered a, a wide range of topics, all Syracuse-related, even considering the fact that it's the offseason. Yeah, pretty remarkable. Don't don't bet on this every week. Granted, it was like 15 minutes of Oklahoma City Thunder breakdown, but it was all about Mello. Yes. Um, yeah, if anyone has any uh, beers I should look out for in Atlanta this weekend, please uh, shoot me a message on Twitter. Did you, did you write down the ones I told you? Uh, no, let me do that. You're going to want to get yourself to Orpheus for sure. Orpheus? Orpheus is like just south of, well, actually, no, it's like close to downtown-ish. Um, but it's like by the park, or the biggest okay. park, whatever that one is. Um, Centennial? Maybe. There's a lot of parks in Atlanta. I'll, yeah. I'll figure it out. I'm yeah, sure they you, have... Yeah, you can just Google Orpheus and you'll find it. Um, and then I know Creature Comforts, which is from Athens, gets around there a lot. Yes, I think I've had stuff from them before. Yeah, uh, and I know you brought it up last time. So I'd recommend those, and then you know Terrapin has some good stuff too. Terrapin's great, and obviously Sweetwater. I know everyone. Yeah. I'm sure I will have the the hundreds of listeners we have. I'm sure they'll all be tweeting me Sweetwater, and I, I know I know Sweetwater. I've had it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, and uh, I'm sure you will be drinking some of this as will I next week, as I'll be in North Carolina. Um, I'll be drinking some uh, Westbrook Goza and some yeah. other varieties of, of Westbrook beers. Yeah, I don't know the last time you were in the Carolinas, but Westbrook is is like water now. Like, yeah. it's everywhere. Um, so, enjoy that. Oh, I will. Uh, anyway, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk. And uh, go Orange Tennis this uh, Orange this tennis. weekend. They're uh, they're starting the NCAA tournament against Wichita State on Friday. Go Orange! Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.